News Power Hour. Welcome to the Biz News Power Hour, where we give you the rational perspective on business news that matters. Indeed, we do. At the end of a week where we saw incredible volatility, uh, we are now finally having a rebound on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which was over 35,000 to start the week, is now 34,300. It got down as low as 33,500. It just gives you an idea. Uh, here's Carrie Adams, our very own Carrie. Hello, a, everybody. What a, does that mean? That I haven't got enough money okay, to go shopping no, for clothes tomorrow or what? Um, well, it depends what shares you own. If you own, if you're punting shares, mm. so if you're buying futures and uh, contracts, for, contracts for difference, those kind of things, no, you wouldn't. Well, you'd have less money to go shopping with tomorrow than you had at the beginning of the week, especially, in fact, if you had nice pair shares. But, because they've really taken a bit of a hiding this Did week. They? Ooh, they came out with a big announcement and the, the analysts hated it. Why? I thought it was a good announcement. Why? What was the announcement? The announcement was that they're going to be buying 50% roughly of NASPAS shares and turning them into process shares. Okay. So if you're a NASPAS shareholder, you will then tender your shares and, and they're going to give you process shares in return. But the analysts think that the, the the ratios that they're doing it in is are all wrong mm. and after Bob van Dijk and Basil Skordos were very pre- pleased with themselves at the media call that I was on. The uh, share tanked. Share tanked. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It started okay. off, it was 3% up on the day and then it, it just went down and down and down. In fact, finished that day down 1.5% NASPAS. So they don't, uh, analysts don't like it. NASPAS is now below 3,000 Rand for the first time in oof, I won't say living memory, but for in, in ages and ages and ages. Uh, today, it's uh, just bumped, it slightly bumped back up about 3,000 rand a share. So better so, to buy Dogecoin? No, Kerry. <laughs> Kerry? I knew I was going to get that. Did no. We were going to get that reaction from Alex. No, yeah, well, well <laughs> I, I don't know. We've actually got someone who can tell you about that. Marius Rates joins us now. Marius is the MD at Luno. Do you know what Luno yes, is? Yes, I oh. like that Luno platform. Ah, Marius, uh, you got one of your clients here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just have to say, I'm not the MD at Luna. The MD is Marcus Swanepoel, so I'm just the uh, uh, number at Luna. <laughs> Are you just, well, you're just the guy we talk to anyway. <laughs> and to us, the, yeah. MD. the wannabe, yeah. <laughs> but Marius, uh, so Kerry made money. She was confiding to me earlier in on Dogecoin. <laughs> uh, have you got new respect for her or do you think she's nuts? It was quick in and out, Marius. I didn't do, I didn't dabble there for very long. <laughs> Carrie is a wine <laughs> expert, by the way. She's not. Uh, she's not here for her investment prowess, although maybe she should be. No, no. I think very, very few uh, Bitcoin buyers can be classified as as expert. Though. So I think most will fall in the speculator category. Same as uh, scary. So. <laughs> well, you see, it's good. You you drink wine and you buy Bitcoin. Ah, oh, at, at the so same time, or you mean co- simultaneously? And after your second glass of wine, do you buy? It's looking more? really good. You buy more. Yeah. And so, if it's green, it's good news. Mm. If it's mm. by so, the end of the bottle, so we what is Dogecoin? Gary, absolutely no idea. It's something that Elon Musk speaks about, and there's a picture of a dog on Twitter. But he says it's a hustle. Probably is. Uh, I hustled for 24 hours and made $7,000. $7,000. Hey, caramba. I hope the tax man didn't hear that. He Ma- didn't. He didn't. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is recorded. But, Marius, is, uh, would Carrie then uh, classify as one of your top 10 traders? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Look, yeah, I think um, yeah. So, so Dogecoin, uh, you know, is, is a cryptocurrency that was created as a joke initially, um, and it was created back in 2013, and it, it operated under the radar for most of the last eight years. But until recently, when Elon Musk started tweeting about Dogecoin, um, the funny-looking coin with the dark on, um, it started to gain popularity, but really, you know, for no reason other than just social sentiment. So it's, it's really mind-boggling what's going on and, and uh, where this price is going. So people like Kerry are just gambling. They might have been, you might have been playing red or black on a or casino Or putting your thing. money on a horse. I mean, to Pretty be honest, it's the first and last time probably 
It's just fun. Everybody says seven thousand dollars profit, and it's the Stop last time. Stop telling the tax man, Alec. <laughs> I can't see it being the last time somehow. If you, if I could make seven thousand dollars in twenty four hours, I think it's beginner's luck. I honestly do. I, oh, so I really putting have no that away idea. and saying, mm, yeah, enough. we'll keep that to buy a new garden bench or something. Maurice, how much beginner's luck are you seeing nowadays? Because the volatility in Bitcoin, Dogecoin. Especially Dogecoin. Uh, after Elon Musk called it a hustle, the share price virtually, I mean, the price virtually halved. So uh, how much of that is, is, is just pure punters? Look, Alec, I think, you know, over the, over the last year or so, we, we saw tremendous growth in the Bitcoin price and that of most other cryptocurrencies. And I think for, for, for good reasons to a, a large extent. So we, we saw a lot of institutional investors or a handful really of big ones enter the space over the last year. Um, we saw better regulations in certain markets. We saw companies like PayPal and, and Venmo create better distribution channels for Bitcoin. But I think in between, you know, we'll experience the ups and downs. Um, every now and again, someone will tweet something negatively or a regulator will ban a certain exchange or there will be a high profile hack, uh, you know, somewhere around the world with people lose Bitcoin. And that will usually have an impact on the price in the short, uh, short term. So we'll have these ups and downs. But if we take a step back and we look at the you know, progress over the last four years, since the previous Bitcoin rally in 2017, hopefully Kerry made some money there as well. I didn't um, even know. You know. <laughs> <laughs> She's a newbie. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, so, so um, the, the interesting thing over the last year, though, is that we've seen on Luna, we, we can see the data, and we've seen a lot of new or first-time buyers into the market. And lots of these buyers, sure, some of them speculate, and some of them take a bet that the price will go up you know, in the short run and, and, and make a quick buck. But a lot of them over the last year or so entered the market, they they bought Bitcoin and they've kept it there. So they say so it's an indication that there's an appetite and maybe because of the global uncertainty, um, you know, low interest rates, people in, in search of yield. So we've seen more people holding on to their Bitcoin actually. But of course you you have the speculators, um, the people reacting on price drops, so your typical, you know, fear of missing out and, 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 and greed. So um, but there's been a shift and I'm not I don't want to say we see more sophisticated investors, but we're certainly seeing the early signs of that. And perhaps it's a sign that Bitcoin is emerging, you know, as an emergent safe haven asset of some sort. And, and I think uh, that's probably something that uh, I think we will we'll, we'll see for as long as the COVID-19 situation, you know, persists. Well, we're going to have to see what it's worth one day because, Carrie, Carrie if you'd bought Bitcoin, uh, at the beginning of the week, you would have paid 820,000 rand. Mm. And What's on Friday, 725,000 rand. So yeah. you've done, you would have done 100,000 rand. Uh, all your $7,000 would have been gone on I one know. Bitcoin. The mm. worrying thing is that you don't really, it's not linked to anything, is it? So you don't accept Elon Musk's sentiment. One day he likes it, the next day he hates it. Yeah. So. Oh, and, and Elon Musk's decision to no longer accept Bitcoin uh, in payment for Tesla, that's, that's got to have had a big impact, Marius. Yeah, so again, in the short run, so it was often a 15% drop in the price, um, but then since then, Bitcoin recovered, um, and it's back to just under 800,000, I think 700,060. It says so 725, according to to, uh, to the internet, but maybe you, you're closer seven, to the stuff, huh? 725 uh, on Thursday morning, but it's recovered to 760,000 again. So, so that's, that's the point. That's the point. If you mm. speculate and you want to buy and make money over the next day or so, then you're going to burn your fingers. But if you take a long term view, then, and you, you know, you, you hold onto your Bitcoin, then within a matter of days, you should break even or you should be in the green again. So it's, you need to decide if you want to speculate. Um, you know, do you really want to speculate in crypto? And if you want to invest, then you take a long-term position. You allocate a single-digit percentage you know, of your, 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 your disposable income to crypto if you can afford it, um, and you take a long-term view. So I think that's where many people get it wrong. They try to invest but also speculate. Um, and whenever these big fluctuations take place, people tend to sell out. And you've got different types of, of people. So you have the speculators. Um, so the people that the buy or sell wanted to make a quick buck, you have longer term investors. So whenever you see these price dips, and they usually prop the price up again. So when you see these price drops, longer term investors see 
see this as a buy opportunity um, to you know, dollar average the, the cost price, and, and that eventually results in the price recovering you know, within a couple of days usually. We saw the financial results today from Coinbase, uh, the recently listed crypto exchange, I guess uh, America's version of Luno, you, you might put it that way, and they have had a gangbusters quarter, their first quarter as a listed company. They, they made profit of $771 million uh, against $32 million a year before. So just imagine that. A year ago, they thought they're doing pretty well, $32 million profit. Now it's 771 And they reckon they're going to make the same or more in the next three months. But what I found very interesting, Marius, is that they, of their trading volume of $335 billion, I mean, these numbers just, just uh, boggle the mind, about two-thirds comes from institutional clients and the rest from retail. However, the money that they made, they only made uh, $85 million from institutional clients and $1.5 billion from retail clients. So it looks to me like we know who's actually funding these organizations. In other words, uh, not really the smart, the at the not casino. the clever money. Yeah, yeah, it's the, the, the people at the it's, casino. It's the turnover. Yeah. Is it similar with you, Maurice? Do you have, a, have you had a similar surge in, you know, and indeed, are you making uh, those proportions, $1.5 billion uh, from individuals, retail clients as they call them, versus $85 million from institutions, even though institutions are much bigger? So most crypto platforms make money through brokerage. So when a customer moves from fiat dollars or, or, or rands to, to crypto and vice versa, and the, the higher volume a customer trades, the lower their fee. So what, what I suspect on, on Coinbase is that they've got different fee tiers of different products for different types of investors. So they have Coinbase Pro, which is used by an institutional clients, and then they have Coinbase, which is a brokerage, simple buy and sell option without the the technical graphs and all the bells and whistles that their retail customers use. For the ease of use and the risk linked to, um, to the, the instant buy and sell option, there is usually a higher fee charge for that. So you'll typically see in the region of you know, 50 basis points to let's say 1.5% brokerage fees linked to a simple buy and sell. So retail traders or buyers use, use that. Um, and I think, you know, Luna is seeing the same. So we have less than 10% of our customers. Um, you know, we have very few institutional customers in, Af- in, Af- in, in ESSA. In fact, very few institutional clients operate or currently buy crypto across emerging markets at, at large because of lack of regulations um, mainly. So it's because of different cost structures, different fee structures for, for different types of customers. Um, and in ESSA, you know, we, we have you know, 90% of our customers retail, 10% institutional and um, and it's the retail customers that's you know driving the the, the liquidity and the you know, the volume on the platform as well. This share Coinbase, which is now listed a month ago in April, it started off at uh, a price of three hundred and eighty-one dollars. Today it's two sixty-five dollars. So again, Carrie, if you'd bought that one, uh, you wouldn't have made your seven thousand dollars. You'd have no. you'd have you'd have. You'd have done definitely it. couldn't have gone shopping. Done a third. No shopping no. on that one. No. Uh, Maurice, does that surprise you that it's, uh, despite these incredible financial results that they're producing, that the share price has dipped so much? Look, they, they, will, they will naturally be tied to the Bitcoin price, Coinbase being a crypto, crypto company and, and having the exposure. So I think they also take their revenue in crypto, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. So, so they, they're exposed to crypto, and I think to a large degree, the Coinbase share price. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll track the performance of Bitcoin or the crypto market at large. So I think we need to give it more time also. They listed, no, if I'm mistaken, I think three or four weeks ago. So we don't have a lot of data to work with, really. It's only been a short period of time. 14th and of April. Is, they listed on 14th the 14th of April. of April, exactly a month ago yes. today. Yeah, a month ago. So I think, you know, we need a bit more time. I think they released their first earnings report this week. So, but yeah, no, it, it's, it, it'll be linked to the Bitcoin price and the performance of cryptos nationally. Um, so, we've also got Quentin Rossi with us, who is uh, our next guest. He's the chief executive of the Spear REIT, and it's a really Cape based focused uh, property fund. But before we talk about uh, your results that came out today and what's going on in property in, in the Western Cape, Quentin, do you own any crypto? 
Hi, Alec. Uh, yes, I do, actually. Um, <laughs> got a little bit of a, a side hustle on, Good on the you, Luna Quentin. platform. <laughs> on Dogecoin? On, Have you got uh, Doge? Well, I've got a bit of um, seller's remorse on Dogecoin, actually. I, um, I entered low, sold at about five rand, and what's it go all the way to almost 10 rand. Yeah, you see. And I was jumping up and down. Um, but uh, yeah, a bit of Dogecoin, a bit of Ripple, a bit of Ripple did um, well. A bit of <laughs> everybody made money on Ripple, Quinton. <laughs> Quinton, you and yeah. Carrie should actually swap notes. It sounds like you you were in the both in the speculative end of the speculative market. It's like playing Monopoly, really. Well, I was actually going to suggest to Carrie that um, you know we we consider ourselves. Um, custodians of shareholders capital and um, she can send her seven thousand dollars over to the <laughs> to the spear stable and uh, no i'll drink seven thousand dollars with the spear wine rather quentin that's what i do <laughs> well listen we make a lot of wine down here in the cape and um you know you at least you also have a high quality real estate portfolio to underpin I know, and the Entovens would take me to tea anytime I wanted if I did that. <laughs> but this is a different spear. This is not the spear one. Is it one. not my spear at the, no, at, no, at the no, hotel? No, 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 no. This is your – do you own the spear hotel? It must Quentin? do. No, 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 no. We're not involved in the spear wine estate. Uh, we are the spear that you would find on the battlefield. Oh, it's an uh, AR, not, not an E. Mm, you see, I can only think as far as wine. Sorry, Quentin. <laughs> Carrie is, is South Africa's preeminent wine expert. So she's. No, Carrie, you and I would have a lot in common. I love wine. Good boy. Uh, and, and the $7,000. And Dogecoin. And Dogecoin. <laughs> well, you know. You know, today we did declare a dividend. So, um, you know, you could always use that to go shop. Well, shopping. Yeah, you cheapest. see. Now you've got to, now you've got now you've Carrie's got all attention. All the girls listening, Quentin. Uh, but, uh, Marius, just to close off with, do you own any property? <laughs> I do. Yes. Oh, there I we go. So you, you no, and Quentin I, have, have, got, uh, have got kindred spirits in a way. Yeah, you know, I think it's still important to, to have a diversified portfolio. I'm certainly not all in on crypto. So um, you have to make rational investment decisions. So I think uh, port, uh, property has got a long track record and it's uh, uh, resulted in consistent returns over the last couple of years. So, yeah. Thank you to Marius Reitz uh, from Luno for giving us that insight on cryptocurrency and uh, the recently listed Coinbase, which came out with its first set of financial results today, uh, which were incredible. And the share price goes down. I suppose that's just the way we, we, we have it in the market at the moment. Uh, in our virtual studio, uh, I hope Quentin Rossi is still with us. Quentin, are okay. you? You are. Oh, good. We can't see you anymore, but we certainly can hear you. Uh, the, the the purpose of of asking you to come on was not to swap notes with Carrie about uh, buying a <laughs> cryptocurrency, but actually to have a look at your financial results. Because uh, given that that uh, that our partner, Fine Music Radio, is uh, the we think the premier radio station in the Western Cape, uh, people in the Western Cape can find. A lot of insight or we'll, we'll pick up a lot of interesting stuff from the only property listed company that focuses only in the Western Cape and that's Spear with an EAR okay. uh, rather than the wine one, uh, which doesn't own, in, own the wine estate, Shame. sadly, Shame. because you'd think that they have got, you have got a hospitality uh, slug, so I wasn't that far off the mark. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, we do. We own two hotels in Cape Town, uh, the 15 and Orange Hotel. Uh, we recently concluded a fixed income lease with the Capital Hotel and Apartment Group, uh, led by Mark Waxberger. And we also own the Double Tree by Hilton, uh, which is situated in Salt River, which is part of the four-star brand of Hilton worldwide. Is, uh, are you going to swap 15 on Orange then the name to Capital? Uh, no, no. I think the um, you know how the capital group, and obviously I, uh, I'm not speaking on their behalf, but uh, how the, the capital group would link in, say, um, probably 15 on Orange uh, by the capital group, uh, similar to what they have the pools in uh, Umschlange, and yeah. obviously the future they'll have the Zimbali Coastal Resort, also part of the capital stable. Uh, but that I leave up to them. We only own the real estate, and they are the jockeys. They, Mark Waxberger is uh, uh, I knew him when he was in nappies. I know his father very really well. Do you know his funder? <laughs> it's probably his father. 
Robert, no, if Robert's listening. <laughs> his funder likes to keep uh, a very Under low profile, radar. so Good. I'm not Don't going to disclose that name. They've been very clever, those Waxburger boys. Well, very, they, very if, you, if you think about uh, what you're saying now, Quentin, they, they certainly are investing heavily at the bottom of the market, perhaps, in South African mm. uh, hotels. Yeah, no, I would agree. And I think there's an opportunity there for them. And, uh, you know, what we've seen in our experience as we are looking to exit hospitality over the next uh, couple of months is it comes down to having the right jockey. Um, you know, uh, investing in hotels and owning hotels is is not just centered around the real estate. It's effectively running a business. Um, it's, it's, you know, having the right um, capital structure, having the right um, financial structure because you've got this depreciating asset that you continually have to reinvest into, whether it's beds or tables or kitchens or ovens, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that um, if you look at just uh, what the, what their group has done in the last year in the light of COVID, incredibly entrepreneurial, and mm-hmm. we're very um, excited for this uh, new journey at uh, 15 Orange with them. Have you stayed at the Double Tree, Carrie? No. Uh, in Woodstock, it's brilliant. No, it's uh, I've, I've stayed a few times, and and well priced and uh, excellent, nice and clean. But uh, the Hilton Group has been sending mixed signals in South Africa. Are they still pretty invested there with you in the Double Tree in in Woodstock? Yeah, I think the um, it, you know it's been a, t- a very tough time for uh, any hotel brand globally. Uh, but uh, you know, one thing I can say is that even during the last year, the Hilton worldwide team has been exceptional in their brand support. Uh, we own and manage it. So we've got a franchise agreement with Hilton worldwide. And, uh, I think there's a clear strategy by Hilton to add more flags on doors. Um, but, uh, you know, in the current environment, uh, you know, hotels don't come with fixed income leases, uh, like the one that we just did with the capital group. So we're very fortunate. Typically, they are management agreements or turnover based. Um, so, you know, hotels, um, and it's also it's very expensive to set up. So, you're going to have to have a strong balance sheet uh, partner uh, to invest into the property uh, because the hotel companies don't own direct assets anymore. They only want to put their names on the door and uh, take a share of your revenue. Well, uh, you've got a, a big portfolio, uh, and the net asset value. Of eleven rand fifty uh, is a substantial premium over the current share price of six sixty seven. So I suppose value investors like uh, Pit Fulun was telling us this week he's now moving more into value opportunities would be looking at this. But the the big question is how hard is that eleven rand fifty? In other words, uh, is when you value your your assets, your your properties, and you've got nearly five billion rands worth of properties that you're valuing. Uh, how solid is that given what we've seen over the past year with COVID and the decline in property values? Yeah, I think the, the you know, the gap between or the discount uh, on the spot price versus the net asset value uh, is, is in, our, in my opinion, a direct result of the impact on our earnings uh, from the COVID uh, pandemic. If you, ha- if you have a look at the results presentation you're in the valuation slide, uh, you'll see that on a average basis, uh, our portfolio of almost five billion is valued at just under ten thousand rand per square meter. So the value proposition uh, is there in the sense that uh, none of our properties are over rented. Uh, our exit capitalization rates, based upon a five-year discounted cash flow method, uh, shows around a nine point two five percent exit cap rate, which actually is some of the highest exit cap rates in the sector. And he's, uh, you know, for all of us. Ask him, ask him, ask him, ask him, ask him. That's very high. (laughs) What is an exit cap rate? Did you know, Kerry? What is an exit cap rate? So it's effectively you take the the cash flow of the property and you you obviously divide it by a specific metric to give you the the capitalized value. So if you you have a million rands worth of income and you cap it at 10%, it will give you X amount of value on the property. Uh, so that's the cap rate um, uh, that we that we talk about, uh, but we don't value properties on a one-year income cap, which is effectively just taking the first year's net income over a specific uh, percentage cap rate. We actually use a five-year discounted cash flow method with a discount rate to get to our property values, and in that process, um, to under underscore the, the 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 justification of fair value. 
We apply for things. We apply, for instance, void periods, vacancy periods, uh, bad debt provisions, management fees. Okay, okay, uh, okay. Too much detail. I know the UCT accounting department's best in the country, and the accounting (laughs) students are listening to this and saying, I I get that, get that. The rest of us are saying your distribution that you sent to shareholders went down significantly by 36% this year. Is it going to bounce back in the year ahead? Yeah, I think that's a, um, you know, there is going to be restorative um, earnings into the FY22 numbers. Uh, in FY21, uh, f- uh, we earned only 1.8 million rand out of our hospitality portfolio. Uh, we should have earned, in our forecast, we should have earned over 30 million, 32 million rand. Whoa. So, that's what I was going to ask you. What was and your... If you, yeah, was it like were the hotels just empty? Yeah, what was your occupancy rate like during COVID? Was it yeah, the hotels were practically empty. Um, you know, if you uh, so for argument's sake, fifteen in Orange, we had January to March effective trade uh, because that's when lockdown set in. So that's where the one point eight million comes from uh, because we don't share on in any of the expenses in terms of our original lease with Marius. So we weren't exposed on the downside, uh, but on the double tree, we are exposed in the profit and the loss. So we have actually been recapitalizing that operation uh, for more than a year now. So there was zero income from the double tree. But what we did was in May 2020, we actually told the market we are fully eliminating um, hotel earnings out of our forecast. So we were transparent and upfront with the market and said, guys, you all know this is a problem. Globally, 99% of hotels were closed and therefore earnings were impacted. However, to give you an ind- indication, the restorative nature of the new lease at 15 on Orange will add approximately uh, four cents to our distribution pot uh, from that particular property uh, in the first in the second half of FY22. Okay, so to think that there's every one cent of distribution equates to two million rands worth of profit, and in FY23, which is next year. Years with the rental on the new 15 orange lease, which would be approximately 19.2 million, and that would add probably another nine cents um, into the in, for that property contribution uh, to the distribution pot. So, so Quentin, all in all, sorry, yes, I want to ask you a question now. of your five billion rands worth of property holdings, the balance that aren't hotels were they all rented out during the COVID period, and did you get rental on them? Yes, so we actually have a on the on that port, on our portfolio, which consists of about five hundred thousand square meters. We have a ninety four percent occupancy rate. Did they and pay rent? The biggest, yes, so we collected ninety seven ninety seven point seven nine percent of our rentals that we build. Uh, we collected wow. uh, in the years. So but now, for argument's sake, uh, you've yes. got fifty percent of your portfolio is offices. Are people coming uh, back to the offices? Sure. Com- commercial. Fifty percent of our portfolio. percent. of our portfolio is industrial. By, by value, and, sorry, I'm talking by value. Yes. So, in other words, the revenue oh, yes. that you're getting in. Fifty percent by value is commercial offices. What's happening to the office market mm-hmm. in the Western Cape? So, in our instance, for argument's sake, we've seen uh, a strong return to work uh, program being initiated. However, that has slowed down slightly with the clumsy rollout of the vaccine. And, you know, those two things are pretty linked in their destiny uh, as companies cannot reasonably always expect their staff to return to work if there hasn't been some sort of a health and safety response uh, in the form of vaccine uh, rollout. However, what we've seen is that the bulk of our tenants are actually looking, are actually working three to four days in the office, one to two days remotely. And uh, that we've actually seen consistently. And our rental collections uh, in the office sector have been pretty consistent. What we have, however, seen in the office sector was that we that's where we had the most casualties during the last year. So you'd have seen an increase in our office vacancies. Uh, but that being said, um, the tenants, the, the core tenants within the portfolio have remained. And what we did was we initiated what we would call cash flow relief to our tenants. We Of our 400 tenants in our portfolio, we restructured or renegotiated almost 200 leases last year in order to ensure that there was business continuity. Because effectively, if you're a tenant in our portfolio, uh, you're technically a shareholder in our business and we're a shareholder in your business because our destinies are tied you know, in, in that kind of manner. So from a, a commercial perspective, 
We have seen vacancy creep, uh, obviously, across the country and within our portfolio. But we believe that given the fact that we're so hands-on, we're really starting to see inroads into uh, solving those vacancy challenges. How, you say casualties. How many of those 400 actually went out of business because of COVID? So I would probably say that, um, you know, we probably lost in terms of our office tenants, we probably lost about six office tenants. And they ranged in size from 50 square meters to approximately 500 square meters. And uh, in terms of our retail tenants, we hardly lost any tenants uh, because we only own convenience retail and they were operating pretty much right through from level five uh, onwards. And uh, on our industrial portfolio, we lost uh, maybe three tenants. And given the demand for the type of industrial that we own, uh, those spaces had actually been filled, were filled uh, very quickly. And our first post-COVID or lockdown deal that we did in level four was an industrial let. Quinton, just before you leave us, uh, let's get back to that question that Carrie so rudely interrupted you on. <laughs> Sorry, Quinton. <laughs> Distribution. No worries. Uh, you paid 91 cents 2020. You paid yep. 58 cents 2021 or 58.7. Uh, are you likely to go back to 91 2022? So maybe just to, just to, you know, uh, in the prior year, uh, we paid out 100% of our distribution per share. Uh, and in 2021, which is the past financial year, we paid out only 80% of our distribution pot. So now there's a differentiation between distributable income per share and distribution per share. So, so the one just has to bear in mind that if we had paid out like for like, so 100% this year, uh, the distribution would have been 73.38 cents. But because we felt it prudent to cut our uh, payout ratio to 80%, uh, obviously the distribution reflects only 80% of that 73.38. My view is given the restorative nature of our hospitality uh, earnings on 15 and orange and the potential um, kind of uh, rollout of vaccines that will allow people to actually use hotels, for instance, the double tree. Uh, I don't foresee a 90 cents in FY2023 uh, but I do see it uh, probably closer to FY24. But that's, a, that's assuming zero growth on the rest of the portfolio. So, yeah, it's very difficult to, to make a forecast without giving you a whole list of assumptions. But uh, from a management team perspective, we still own 32% of this company. So we've got a lot of skin in the game. And trust me, we are um, uh, some of the most focused uh, teams, management teams, to make the numbers work. Quinton Rossi, the chief executive of the Spear REIT, uh, a property company that is focused on the Western Cape. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour, brought to you by the team at biznews.com. Well, as we are changing to the top of the hour to hear from our editor-at-large, Jackie Cameron, with the news of the day, Here's Jackie with the Flash Briefing. South Africa wants a free 20% stake in oil and gas exploration and production ventures under a new upstream petroleum bill. This bill allows the minister to reserve petroleum blocks for black investors. A copy of the bill has been seen by Reuters. If the legislation is passed in its current form, it could mean vast sums flow into state coffers. But it could also put off investors at a time when the world is turning away from fossil fuels due to climate change. White people were given preferential treatment for evacuation in a March air rescue when Mozambique's Palmer town was raided by Islamic State-linked fighters. This is the allegation by the human rights group Amnesty International. The Agence France Presse reports that, in a report compiled from interviews with 11 black survivors, Amnesty International has charged that even dogs were pulled to safety ahead of black people. Dake Advisory Group, a private company hired to help the Mozambican government fight the militants, has rejected the allegations. Rio Tinto's South African operation is facing the loss of a large block of black investors. This is a move that would leave it below the legal minimum for black ownership. Bloomberg reports that the main investors in Blue Horizon, which holds 24% of Rio-controlled titanium producer Richards Bay Minerals, have told Rio they want to be permitted to sell a stake their value at 5.5 billion rand or have it bought out by RBM. The black investors are frustrated by the suspension of dividends, partly due to disruptions caused by the coronavirus pandemic and community opposition that has stymied expansion plans. Sassel has agreed to sell a 30% stake in a natural gas pipeline running from Mozambique to South Africa, 
for as much as 5.1 billion rand. This is in order to pay down debt. I'm Jackie Cameron. That was your BizNews Flash Briefing. For more on those and the other big stories of the week, go to biznewsradio.com. Carrie, we call that the fastest two minutes in news. Do we? She speaks. She, she reads the news well, actually. It's hard to read news. Have you ever tried? Well, what I mean about the fastest two minutes, it's two minutes and it goes so quickly because well, no, it's so we've got a lot to do as well while she's talking. <laughs> do you know what the fastest two minutes in sport is? No. It's known as the Kentucky Derby. Aha. Uh-huh. And do you know that the Kentucky Derby winner this year, and there's big horse racing breeding company, a country in the Western Cape, the, as with the wine, and we're talking wine in a moment, the Kentucky Derby winner was found to have been doped. It came back with oh a positive dope test. Yeah, big, big PR issue Well, we've there. earned ourselves a reputation for doing all that kind of stuff but, but, in everything, haven't we? Yeah, so why not horse racing? I guess. It's a little bit sad. Very sad. Brightrock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity and the markets aren't any different. The daily movements in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. This daily market report is made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Now, usually we ask Justin uh, to talk to us about the markets, but Justin is preparing for his big, big exam, yeah. his CFA final, final Just exam. Just under pressure. And, uh, so so you're going to do the markets I'll because you can't give them to me because all I can do is shop. Well, and by Bripper Doge Coin Doge. Mm. <laughs> uh, top 40 today up by 0.6%. In other words, two thirds of a percent. Uh, the uh, industrial index was up nearly 1%. Pretty much across the board, we got green here in South Africa. The only concerns were in resources, and that was down by a tenth of a percent. So nothing really to worry about there. Of the major moves of the individual stocks on the JSE that that did well today. Massmart jumped uh, nearly 7%. Uh, DRD Gold was 6% up. And Goldfields 4%. That's because of a improved gold price, obviously. Mr. Price, while we're talking about price, was one of the leaders. That was up by 4%. And uh, we also saw Woolies um, getting a 3.3% improvement. At the other side, Transaction Capital, which rushed up on Great financial results had a bit of profit taking. That was two percent down today. Uh, Iteltal one and half percent, roughly lower. Tiger Brands also up strongly yesterday. Came back a little, about one percent down. And then the big losers on the JSC today were Barlow World, which was almost five percent lower, and Distel Group, which was three percent lower. Naspers, after going below three thousand rand a share for the first time in who knows how long, of uh, Finally managed to eke up a, uh, a slight improvement on that and finished at 3,016 rand. And Process, which is on the counter of that trade, remember, they want you to uh, give away 50% of your NASPAS shares for Process shares. Uh, but the institutions are fighting with the NASPAS management on that and trying to get a better deal for NASPAS shareholders. Process was slightly up. That was up by about one-tenth of a percent. Going across to the United States, um, it does augur well for Monday because the S&P 500 index is one and a quarter percent stronger right now. The NASDAQ, which has been the one that took quite a lot of pain early in the week. In fact, NASDAQ went down from 13,600 to 13,000. That's a, that's a substantial decline. Uh, and it's come all the way back to 13,400. So on the week, it's lost 200 points, which is kind of neither here nor there. And uh, that follows in the far east this morning, the Nikkei Dow was up by two and a third percent. So all round, we're finishing the week very strongly. And this market report was made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Over to you, Carrie. You've got uh, uh, Jeremy. I've got Jeremy Borg on the line, one of my favorite people from the wine industry, actually. Jeremy, hi. Thanks for joining us on Carrie's Call. Hi, Carrie. Thank you. Where are you? Are you pulled over on the side of the road because you've got terrible feedback from your phone? Uh, I'm just I'm just about, actually, to um, arrive at my sister's house in, in up in Chartwell. Oh, um, okay. Have you got earphones uh, in your ears? No, not at all. I've just got my phone. My phone's actually here in the car. Um, okay. Should I... 
So I'm perhaps just try and step outside and, and, and see whether perhaps that's better. Please, if you just please, give Jeremy. Me a yeah. and, and, yeah. and if you could take it off speakerphone, if you don't mind. You've got thousands of people listening to you, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure they're, they're all about to switch off because it's, we're getting zinging in our ears. Okay. I, I, okay, just give me – it's actually on, on, my, on the, on the, um, uh, the hands-free in the car. I tell you what, we're going to call you back, Jeremy. We're going to call you back okay. if you can unhands free, uh, and we'll call you, you call in a couple, of, couple of minutes. I'm, I'm, actually, I'm actually stopping and getting out the car Thank right you. now, so good I'll stuff. be able to take you in a, in a much better environment. Good, good. Well, uh, we'll wait for him to get to a much better environment in a moment. Uh, Kerry, what got you interested in buying uh, cryptocurrencies? My son. So is he bored? He's bored. Um, well, not bored. He's actually interested in cryptos and probably understands them a whole lot better than I do. You know, I'm one of those sort of old, boring, long-term, lights off, under the covers, Richemont, Anglo, you know, those sort of shares that you've had for 100 million years. I would never normally go and do something like that, but it's it's fun, you know. And I think that's what's happening in the United States, as uh, as we saw from the results from Coinbase, yeah. the crypto exchange. Yeah. The retail investors through COVID, we're sitting at home. What to do? What do we do? Do we we gamble on horses or uh, The thing is, I honestly don't believe that many people understand crypto because, as as you and I have discussed this Mm. before, I mean, for goodness sake, I'm a retailer. You know, you buy a bottle. I've paid 10 rand for it. You pay me 15 for it. You get a bottle. I get 5 rand. We each get something. So we walk away with something in our hand. Crypto, you actually have no idea what you're buying, what you're selling, what you're trading. You have no idea what it's linked to, whether it's linked to some megalomaniac's sort of wanderings in the middle of the night. You, you have no idea. It's fun. It's like going to the casino. Well, I uh, hope, Jeremy, you're… Uh, Jeremy. There we go. That sounds a bit better. Is that, is that, is that better? Grant? That sounds a million times better. Thank you, Jim. So you've just driven up from Neisner, you told me. Indeed, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you've been staying with your friends, and while you've been doing that, with your family, in fact, with your mum in Eisner, while you were mm-hmm. doing that, I was trawling the internet to try and find a little bit more about your background, because I've known you for a very long time. But it makes mention of you growing up in Malawi. It also yep. makes mm-hmm. mention of you being at Falcon College, which is where I was going to send Jonathan to school, actually. So you must have been in Zim at some stage. Give us a quick pricey of Jeremy Borg's beginnings. <laughs> okay. So, and I was actually born in Hilbra. Um, in Hilbra? Yeah. And I, oh, gr- I grew up. We'll forgive you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, as, and, as a, and as a young kid, I grew up in Flatland in Yeovil um, okay. and, and went to King Edwards. And then my dad got a job in Malawi when I was uh, about eight years of age. And that was a completely life-changing um, direction and suddenly we went from flatland to a very comfortable rather large house in Malawi. How lucky for you. Indeed. And then off to boarding school in, in, in Zim to Eagle first and then to Falcon. Yes. And then I trotted off to UK and did a did a, um, a economics degree and um, spent some time trying to be an accountant, which didn't work out. <laughs> you are so not an accountant. <laughs> if I can describe Jeremy to my listeners, he is that sort of gorgeous, floppy Hugh Grantish type person. I met you, I think, about 23, 24 years ago, Jim, when you yeah, were making. It is indeed. Must be. You were making wine for Charles Back at Fairview. And I, liked it. I was I was helping him on the commercial side. In actual fact, I, were you? I thought I, you were making yeah. one. No, 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 no. I, I, um, I actually I, I was hired to be uh, Anthony de Yach's assistant in the cellar. That's what I thought. Yeah, it was it was about a year after Charles's dad passed away, yes. and actually, what he needed is he didn't need an assistant winemaker. He needed a a boy Friday. Yeah. So I ended up being being Charles's boy Friday and doing doing the myriad of different things that he. Didn't want to do. How brilliant to be Charles! I can think of little nicer than being Charles Beck's boy Friday. He's just one of the most gorgeous men in the world. But you, Jim, you did your thing, and you must have gleaned an unbelievable wealth of information and experience whilst you were with Charles. But you and your wife started, amongst other things. I know you've been here, there, and everywhere, but we haven't got long, so I want to get to the point of Painted Wolf. 
because in 2006, I think you and your wife, is it Emma, um, started the Painted Wolf Wines Company. And it's such an amazing story because you have contributed millions to the Wildlife Conservation Corporation in order to try and save these beautiful animals because painted wolves are the African wild hunting dogs, aren't they? So enough talking from me. You take over. You tell us this whole dream that you and Emma have realized. So, so yeah, so basically um, uh, after living overseas for many, many years, I accidentally came back to Africa. I came out, I was working in a wine in the United States and came out to do a stage out here. And I was supposed to go and work with Kevin Grant at Hamilton Russell. Mm. And my sister is a, was a wildlife filmmaker at that stage, making films for 50-50. And she met some people in who ran a camp in Savuti in, in uh, Botswana, yeah. and they needed a cook. I'd been a restaurant chef as well. I used to have a restaurant in San Francisco. Um, <laughs> and, and I thought it would be fun to go and cook. So I went up to, I got a sabbatical from my boss, and I went to Botswana, and I cooked a little bit, and then sort of ended up reconnecting with my childhood um, emotional space, and I stayed. I didn't, apart from going back to pack my bags, I left the United States, and... Emma and I got married under a big acacia tree in the middle of the bush. And, and on our wedding day, we, we made a rather drunken pledge to one another to, to um, do something for conservation. And anyway, to cut a long story short, the, our space is, is African wild dogs. And it, we came to it completely by accident. It was definitely to put a fine wine ambition in African wild dogs in the same space is a, is a, is a slightly radical move because you know they are rambunctious and somewhat smelly yes. and like they're gorgeous though those puppies are they're, edible they're, <laughs> not, not literally <laughs> please please so you so you decided to sort of team up and you've done that but aside from just the wonderful romance um and the realization of the romance because it wasn't just a romantic dream that never ever came to much it really has materialized. But in addition to that, you've started making some seriously smart wine, and that's what caught my eye about you this week. Not that I don't think of you yeah, from time yeah. to time, but you're winning awards all over the place. You've, you're what? Yeah. Specifically, tell us. So, yeah, so um, we've had a good run on, on, on white wines in the, for the first uh, quarter of the, or the first half of, of, of this year. Um, yeah, we, uh, a few years ago, I, I um, uh, met a, a, a gentleman down in, in, in Stanford in Walker Bay called Master Blanche. And I was introduced to him by, by a, another um, winemaker that I, that I know. And, um, Nas, um, uh, what, he, what I first was attracted to him was that he, was an amateur conservationist with an interest in, in frogs, and he was growing Watsonia bulbs. Um, Watsonia bulbs. <laughs> and you stole his serving or blank while he wasn't looking. Yeah, so anyway, he had, the, he had this rather scruffy serving vineyard, and um, I agreed to take the grapes. He needed somewhere to deliver his grapes to make a little bit of wine for him to sell in his tasting room. So I agreed to take the grapes on and and in exchange, I would deliver him uh, equal value in finished bottled wine. And anyway, started to look at this vineyard, and the vineyard it's it's this calcrete soil which is very 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 light gravelly mm-hmm. soil, and very well. It's not beautiful at all. It's just it's but it reminded me of the sort of gravelly soil that you find in, in, in Bordeaux, in Grave. Yes. And I, and I, and I thought, no, this is, there's something going on in this vineyard. Let me, let me have a look and let me see. And anyway, um, I'd already decided that I would harvest these grapes and actually um, uh, bring them in. And what I also decided that I would do is that, is that I would not go to the conventional route for Sauvignon Blanc. I knew that I could never take on Cape Points at their game. No, or, no. You know, when there's those there's that very reductive, very very pungent sort of serving block. So I thought, yeah. well, you know, let me make a type of one that I'm comfortable with, which um, has a minimum intervention, little commercial yeast, um, 
uh, or no or no commercial yeasts, um, no enzymes, no yeah, nice know, natural ferment, natural, all that stuff. Natural, mm. yeah, natural, natural type of winemaking. So anyway, I made up my mind that I was going to do this, and I, I have a, a few of amphora, um, little eggs, and some old bars and stuff. And, and then as we progressed closer to harvest, I noticed that there was a little bit of botrytis in this vineyard as well. And that even began That's to even speak to me. Better, more. yes. Yeah. You can make a little about, baby about, a chem next year yeah. if you try harder. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, think, I don't think so. <laughs> I think that was a one off. Anyway, so I was like, no, now, now we need some semion. So I went and got some semion, put the wine together. I had no aspirations for it whatsoever. And anyway, as the wine developed, it started to become look like a really interesting wine. And um, I, I was a, a little bit concerned about it because it was quite left field. It's not super, super pungent, and it's got a great mouthfeel and texture. Mm. Um, and I took it to Kevin Grant, you know, at, at Araxia. Yes. And Kevin was seriously complimentary. He's like, you, you've got a very interesting, very fun wine here. So anyway, to cut a long story short, bottled it. Um, it was delivered for, for a platter tasting, and, and, and Kathy from Sale just loved it. And, um, and went to the tasting. It, it, it was it was going to be in the five star testing. It didn't quite make it, but it was newly bottled. It had been bottled for oh, about two years. Uh, but then we put it, um, well, my assistant um, uh, entered it into Concours Mondial, which is a special Sauvignon Blanc mm. competition in Belgium yes. with, with about 1,200 of the best Sauvignons in the whole world. I mean, it's got the top producers, top wines from the Loire, from New Zealand, from all over the place. And I was absolutely gobsmacked to get a gold medal. Um, well, congratulations. That's why we wanted to have you on this power hour because you yeah. are a Mr. Powerhouse of a Sauvignon <laughs> Blanc maker. Jeremy, who would have thought? We're running yeah, really. out of time too terribly. In a quick nutshell, yes, are, you, yes. are you doing exactly what you want to be doing? Um yeah, largely, notwithstanding the fact that 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 uh, the maker sometimes deals me a, uh, a significant curveball. Oh, <laughs> all of us! I've got I've got such a big board meeting booked with God one day. I'm telling you, he's going to be in so much trouble. I hope he's going to be prepared because the nice people, the nice people, don't yeah. deserve those blows, and you definitely yeah. don't deserve those blows. James, do you know what I am going to do? I'm going to yeah. take the liberty of doing an in-depth character profile or winemaker profile with you on our Biz News, Carrie's Corner, Meet the Winemaker sort of thing, because there's so much for you and I to talk about. Tonight was really just to say congratulations. You've done so well. We're proud of you. And I can't wait to taste that Sauvignon Blanc. When you get – well, you are in Johannesburg. Please come. You've got to share. You've got to share. So I'll I'll, I'll bring a bottle through to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on on my corner this evening. In terms of – it's a, it's a pleasure. I'm, I'm sorry, I've got so many tales. We just, we just began. <laughs> I know. We're going to do a whole hour's worth of Jeremy and Carrie nattering, twittering on. Yeah. yeah Have yeah, a brilliant yeah, time yeah. in Johannesburg. Thanks, Jeremy, very much. Cheers. Thanks, Carrie. Bye. You're listening to the Biz News Power Hour brought to you by the team at biznews.com. So our next guest, or your next guest, is Iluna. Is that the way you say? Ilanda. Ilanda Basson. Is Ilanda on the line? Ilanda. There we go. Yes. Ilanda is Mrs. Ilanda Basson Bubbles. She really should be Bubbles. How are you? I'm well, thanks. And you, Gary? I'm good, thank you. Sorry we were messing around with the with the. Um, Zoom thing this evening. Did you find us okay in the end? Um, well, I found you, but I'm I'm not open. I'm not in the Zoom yet. Oh, okay, so you're just on the telephone. Mm, Ten thousand lashes to do do after this thing. Yes, Elanda. The reason yeah. I'm phoning you is that a few weeks ago, you sent me a bottle of your Sauvignon Blanc from from Stienberg. I forgot to tell everybody that you are the new cellar master at Stienberg since June last year. And I tasted this, um, Stenberg's famous for Sauvignon Blanc anyway, but I tasted it. Yes. And it is so delicious. What did you do to it? (laughs) (laughs) I I took the Stenberg terroir. Yep. And I gave it a little bit of female love and attention. Oh, yes. 
And we seem to have found potentially a new little winning recipe. Oh, a little bit of reflexology on this one, I can tell you, because it is <laughs> just tasting completely. And I'm not, I'm not a Sauvignon Blanc, a Blanc, huge Sauvignon Blanc fiend. Wow. So for me, I drink the Sauvignon Blancs that come from Constantia, which is you, and some that come from Darling, and some right. that come, and some that come from Durbanville. Those are right. generally the nicest ones, but I love the Constantia ones because they have aging potential as well. Oh wow, you're talking my language. Mm. So if we if we were to describe this Sauvignon Blanc to the listeners, tell them tell them in your words, how would you describe it and what would you drink it with? What would you eat it with? Right. Well, let's let's just carry. You've got to tell me which one did we send you? I Is had, it the black swan or both. the I had both. right. Ooh, look at you! <laughs> the black so, one so, is, is is definitely royalty, but yes. your ordinary Sauvignon Blanc was everyday just drinking. Such yes, a cracker. Yeah. Yes. So I, I guess in terms of of white wine and and typical food pairings for Sauvignon Blanc, I would always recommend um, your 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 white meats, mm. a little bit of a chicken dish. Uh, a pasta maybe. with a oh definitely the 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 whole entire seafood range yes. um including my favorite which is sushi so we're um, gonna t- we're, gonna, we're gonna take it to the beach basically and we're gonna put the boys absolutely on the beach, fish and we're gonna pour wine and wait for the definitely fish we yes mm-hmm. yes yes there we go there we go so elanda to be serious for five minutes is it it's not a single block that vineyard, hey, because you produce quite a lot of your ordinary, everyday, run-of-the-mill Sauvignon Blanc. Yes, so I think it's important to understand exactly how important Sauvignon Blanc as a varietal is for Steenberg. So mm. if we look at the, the 60 hectares that we have on the estate, more than 60% is covered with with Sauvignon Blanc vineyards. Yeah. And and that allows us to, if you have a look at the, the larger Steenberg portfolio, that allows us to do Sauvignon Blanc in our terroir five ways. Wow. So mm. we start with, with younger vineyards with nice high acidities and early harvesting. And those vineyards go into the Steenberg sparkling Sauvignon Blanc, the bottle fermented bubbly. Mm. And then we have our larger selection where um, from the 23 blocks of Sauvignon Blanc that we have on the farm, a larger portion of that selection goes into our Steenberg Estate Sauvignon Blanc, yes. the, the friendlier, the easy drinking, the more fruit expressive style, which is um, more palatable for the everyday enjoyment. Mm. Then from there we go to uh, – Obviously, our small portion of barrel-fermented yes. uh, Steenberg Sauvignon in Rattlesnake. And then from there, step up into our terroir collection where we have our, our beautiful our flagship mm. uh, Black Swan, which is, as you say, back in 2011, it was still from a single block vineyard on the farm. But yes. today, because we ha- have such a wide variety of of different little terroir pockets to select it from. It's a combination of two or three of the very best blocks off the farm. And then I'm the sure you do barrel selection as well when you go from there. Yes, into the absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And select the small little pockets that go into the top tiers of Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. Elanda, mm-hmm. you've gone from bubbly to Sauvignon Blanc queen. You're just so versatile. We love your wine. I'm going to make everybody buy some this coming week because I thought it was oof, so yum. Thank you for Thank joining you so us much. on Carrie's Corner. And we too will expect to have a little gossip corner when we do it on one of my podcasts because we've got lots more to speak about. But thanks so much for Fantastic. Us and have a brilliant Absolutely. weekend. Absolutely. Thank you so much and to you and your listeners as well. Thanks, Carrie. Cheers. Bye-bye. Yeah, those podcasts are very popular. Easy way to get hold of them, go to biznewsradio.com and just search, just have a look. You'll find all the Carrie's Corners. Well, you can always Google search to mm. find it or you can go to Spotify or 
iTunes, but podcasts so are taking uh, off. Eh? They, they really are, are. because they, you can listen to them whenever you like, and and we can ramble on if it's a nice conversation we're in. We can actually, and I get frustrated now because the listeners need to hear so much more, but they can they can listen to all our podcasts. Oh, that's the way the world's changing. It's mm. too, we've gone to television on demand mm. with Netflix, absolutely, even Showmax and and DSTV. Yeah, now it's radio on demand. But there's still a good place when you're in your car and you're driving home or you're cooking oh, yeah, we love to the radio. pick uh, pick up the uh, Biz News Power Hour, Hoppers Five to Hoppers Six every night. Just to close off with, uh, Bright Rock believes that with every change in life comes opportunity, and the markets aren't any different. The daily movements in the markets mean change for us all, sometimes small, sometimes big. The daily market report is made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. The JSE was uh, about two-thirds of a percent higher. Right now in New York, uh, the NASDAQ tech stocks, a big rebound there, 2% stronger. Uh, the S&P 500, which is the broadly based index, one and a third percent and even the Dow is finishing the week nicely with it just under 1% stronger. Um, crude oil, $68 a barrel. The Brent crude and gold, $1,839 an ounce as we speak. And this market report was made just for you by BrightRock, the first ever needs match life insurance that changes as your life changes. Well, that's the uh, Festive Friday edition of the Biz News Power Hour. We look forward to being in your company again on Monday from 5.30. See you then. You've been listening to the Power Hour, brought to you by the team at Biz News.